the rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It's Mexi and Marine and Marine. <laughs> We're both pretty low energy right now. Mm-hmm. Marine is hungover. What? Why do you got to do that to me? What? You're just... This is a secret. Well, I don't know. This just makes me look like a very bad influence on our listeners. No. Makes you sound like a reasonable person. I get a very bad headache. And since we Mm. record these on like Saturdays and Sundays. (laughs) Yeah. Not that I'm going over every Saturday or Sunday. But Mm -hmm. I happen to be today. I mean, I celebrated my birthday yesterday. So, like, good reason, right? Happy birthday, Marie. Thank you. And I am just feeling super exhausted from my adrenal fatigue. My chronic illness has flared up. I've had one hell of a week and we both did. But we are super excited to talk about this. So hopefully this will energize both of us. Yeah, I think it will. All right. So first, we'd like to say thank you so, so much to our patrons. Um, We got a number of new patrons this week, Matthew Cotton, Brett Seiler, and Kevin Sari. We appreciate your support so much. We appreciate you. Um, If you would like to support, you could become a monthly patron donor on our website, veganvanguardpodcast.com, or toss us a one-time donation via PayPal, also on our website, or share our episodes with friends and whoever you think would like it and rate and review us on iTunes to increase our reach. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I meant thank you. Also, before we get started, I wanted to give an announcement from a previous guest on the show, the amazing Becky Ellis, who is on our podcast episode about bees and what's happening to our pollinators and how that ties in with capitalism, etc. And I'm going to have her back on the show at some point soon to talk also about permaculture for post-capitalism, which I think will be freaking awesome. But anyways, Becky is a PhD student at Western University here in Ontario, and she's conducting research about gentrification and food in the Parkdale neighborhood of Toronto. So if you live in Toronto, you might be interested to participate in her research. Earlier this summer, there was a big controversy about the branding of a block of Parkdale as Vegandale. Um, If you're from Toronto, you know about that. There was several new vegan businesses opened in a tiny block and they kind of renamed it Vegandale. Uh, The controversy was covered in Now Magazine and also it was the subject of a community speak out. So Becky's looking to do some interviews with vegans who live in the Toronto area about the Vegandale debate, as well as broader issues around food and gentrification. So the interviews will take about 45 minutes and can take place in any space open to the public. Participants will not be compensated and participation is voluntary at all stages of the research. But if you're interested in sharing about this and getting involved, please email Becky at relis23 at uwo.ca. I will put that in the show notes. It's R-E-L-L-I-S 23 at uwo.ca, but I'll put that in the show notes so you can contact her. So yeah, on with the show. So today we wanted to talk about 
the idea that we have normalized like the the fact that men have more force and how much that plays into the subjugation of women and the fact we don't necessarily think of that enough when we try to combat patriarchy and when we theorize about sexism. And this is an idea Maxie and I have been exploring for a while because we read a book called King Kong Theory by Virginie Despentes. And also I recently read The Power by Naomi Alderman. And Maxie recently read The Witch Book. Caliban and the Witch. <laughs> by Silvia Federici. And they all explore very different facets of this idea that like the relationship between men and women and the way that patriarchy works to oppress women would look very, very different if men didn't have this physical advantage. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about those three books and also other things. (laughs) So stick around. (laughs) And I think that this like follows in what we spoke about like two weeks ago of reimagining a future that looks different, like just Mm -hmm. conceptualizing of what the world would look like if there wasn't this like power imbalance, this physical power imbalance between men and women is something that opens so many possibilities and really made us reflect on how much we take this difference for granted, this sexual dimorph- dimorphism, which is like the difference between um, males and females in species. Yeah. And also how this feeds into other, like the systems of capitalism and imperialism and everything, like how patriarchy and just this, I don't know, the underlying assumption of, you know, if you have the physicality, if you have the brute force, then your way is law, right? I think that all kind of, it's all founded on the same kind of horrible idea. So yeah, I think breaking this down is, we're going to have so many aha moments, I think, in this this conversation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we thought we could start off this episode by questioning the very notion of, is it natural for men and women to have such different physical abilities, at least like in size and strength? I would I this is something I never questioned before I read this book. It's also French. It's called Feminisme. Mm-hmm. In it, um the author has a chapter about this sexual dysmorphism and how it's also likely been socially constructed and reinforced throughout like millennia of patriarchy in the Neolithic era. Uh this is how far she goes back, but like maybe it goes back farther, but women and children Uh, started to only work in the field while the men went out hunting. And it was very customary for the men to eat eat some of their prey before they took the food home. Uh, So they would get like more calories, obviously, and very calorie dense, protein dense foods. So that went towards building a, a strong, like a higher physical force. And also, since the men did the hunting, they, I mean, I'm simplifying this a lot, but it gave reason for them to eat more because like, oh, well, we're doing the hunting, we're doing all this physical labor, we should get more calories. Um, mm-hmm. And also, women would sacrifice their calories in order for their children to eat and also to leave more food for the men. And over like millennia, this extreme calorie difference between what women were given versus what men were given 
exacerbated the differences between the sexes. Mm -hmm. And still today, it's very, uh, the book explores, for example, how, I mean, this isn't the author's work. This is like, she's quoting from this woman called Priscille Touraille. Um, but Priscille Touraille did a lot of field work in places like Burkina and countries in South Asia, where it was still very routine for boys to receive twice as many calories as young girls. Mm-hmm. And women still suffer from two times more malnutrition than men until recently in France like women were not able were not allowed to eat at the table with like the men of the household what yeah no no, no. like a long time ago <laughs> you know in the past like 200 years and I think it was very much the same in other western countries like just yeah. the idea that okay men need to eat more that women are there to like go back and forth between the kitchen and the table and like uh-huh. they'll eat whatever is left for them to eat exactly but there is like yeah. the sexual dimorphism between males and females in the human species is is really big compared to in other species and in other species a lot of times there's no difference actually in like weight and size between males and females. Mm-hmm. And other times like the females are much bigger than the males. For example, the largest animal on earth, the, the blue whale, the mm-hmm. females are mm-hmm. consistently much larger than the males. And mm-hmm. so just like starting to question this essential fact of life that we've always grown up with that like well, men are just better athletes. Men are stronger. Men are bigger. Um, men are always taller, like, et cetera. Just, um, I don't know, that book was the first time I even questioned that as like, okay, well, maybe that's like sexually, maybe that's socially constructed and reinforced. Uh-huh. And the last yeah. thing I'll say about that is that, um, so this this woman, uh, Priscille Touay, also talks about the fact that females that were larger through natural selection were also like killed off because since they were so nutritionally deficient, since there's like, you know, she calls it like a a chronic, a worldwide chronic malnutrition of females, they were less likely to survive on fewer calories. So that's also a reason why smaller females evolved to be, um, the, the, Mm -hmm. the norm. Um, and also the fact that men, well, do you want to talk about this? The fact that men would often prioritize. Yeah. Well, I just, I heard this in Un Podcast Soi that was talking about, yeah, evolution and the fact that natural selection, it, it wasn't just that they were being uh, weeded out because it was harder to, to survive on fewer calories. Men were choosing mates <laughs> that were smaller in stature than they were because that would give them an advantage, like they could control their mate or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So you start to you get realize, to feed them less. yeah, you get to feed them less, you get to have your way, you get to be the protector, I don't know, whatever, right? It gives you all that power. So yeah, when you start to think about that in terms of this was actually, and not saying that it's conscious, it was like a conscious thing, but that it was smaller women were chosen to be mated with more often and so that was something also bred into natural selection of our bodies Mm -hmm. but like this is so wild to think about honestly this is just 
it is. And it's so obvious. But- yeah, it makes so much sense. And like at first, I think when I read it, I was like, okay, well, this is an interesting theory, but I, you know, uh-huh. I don't know. But just thinking about the fact that females have consistently gotten half the calories of males, mm-hmm. like obviously over thousands and thousands of years, there's going to be a big difference in how they evolve to look. Exactly. Yeah. So that's just wild to think about. I mean, it's not that sexual dimorphism is not a real thing or that it's not shaped by natural factors. It's that it's exaggerated by our social systems and the way that we've organized for millennia. Um, So a researcher at the University of Vienna, Sylvia Kirchengast, wrote a paper called Human Sexual Dimorphism, a Sex and Gender Perspective. And she argues that although sexual size dimorphism has a clear evolutionary basis and is caused by genetic and hormonal factors, sociocultural factors such as gender role in society and gender typical workload influence the degree of sexual size dimorphism too. So yeah, this is just really interesting to think about. And briefly, this also reminds me of a speaker that I heard a couple of years ago, but she was talking about the fact that the trope that Black people are naturally stronger and better athletes, etc., also stems from the way that they have been oppressed and dominated through slavery for a really long time that made their bodies evolve that way. I'm like not going to speak on it too much because... I don't, I don't know about it that much and I don't want to say anything super ignorant, but that also really made sense to me at the time. It's like there's certain, there's certain sexes and there's certain races that have been like dealt such wildly different hands that it makes sense that evolution has like, there's nothing natural necessary. Like there's nothing natural about how like evolution works and these like differences that everyone just like essentializes. Right. Yeah. So our systems of all kinds play into these discrepancies. And then that just allows for their the system's continuation, really. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. allows for it, right? So yeah, pretty fascinating. And it's also something that has made sizeism so much more political for me in the feminist movement. Mm. Like the fact that Mm-hmm. you know, big women are stigmatized is not only sexist because, oh, well, women should be able to be all shapes and sizes, but knowing that like literally women were made smaller through like being chronically malnourished for thousands of years. And now that's the standard that we hold them up to mm-hmm. is so fucked. Oh God. That is so fucked. That actually makes me so angry from like suffering for how many years with an eating disorder, trying to eat as little calories as possible. Meanwhile, that this is an affliction, worldwide affliction of all women. And I'm sitting here like, oh, I should eat less. I should eat even less so that I can be more attractive to men. Oh, yeah. I think being big as a woman is a sign of like resilience. It's like <laughs> right. Society has tried to like kill those women, those bigger statured women off for so long. Yes. And I used to be, I used to be like bigger. I used to be, I, I'm, I still am now like big and strong or whatever, but for that whole time that I was, you know, not eating anything, I was tiny. I was still strong because I was lifting weights, but I was, I was not like, yeah, you were malnourished. I was malnourished. I was asking to be, not asking to be like beaten, but like I was, <laughs> I was putting myself in a situation where 
if someone were to assault me physically, then I wouldn't be able to do very much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because that was, would be more attractive to people who could assault me physically. How deranged is that? Mm -hmm. And it totally stems from the fact that we think just women should naturally be so much smaller than men. Like Uh how often do you hear the dating too? Just like, Oh, well my man has Uh to be bigger than me. Yeah. I mean, I fall prey to that my whole life. I was just like, oh, I like, I want a tall guy, tall guy, like big guy. Mm -hmm. Why? So that he can like keep me in check. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that just kind of throws my whole, (laughs) that makes me want to just, you know, bulk up. (laughs) Date a very small man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But no, I feel like this is something that we know is going on in our society. Like we know that women are, are being, and and I shouldn't say this like men too. And this is obviously extremely binary. We're just talking about men and women. Like, you know, this is such a binary conversation. Um, But, you know, we know that women um, are more often having extreme eating disorders and not eating because they want to Mm -hmm. fulfill that. And we kind of just, we think about it in terms of, oh, it's the media. Oh, it's just, you know, the way that young girls are being made to feel and not really connecting it back to this broader systemic insidious thing that has been a problem for how Mm -hmm. many millennia? Yeah, absolutely. Does the fact that it's so obvious to everyone that males and females should not compete in the same league for sports is also, I don't know, just like, that's used as an argument all the time to talk about the differences between the genders, you know, they're like, well, it would be like so unfair if everyone could compete on the same rank, you know, because like women are like weaker Mm -hmm. than men. And just, yeah, it enrages me to think that Mm -hmm. that binary is probably mm-hmm. fake. Like it's probably has been orchestrated by like just millennia of malnutrition yeah. that has caused us to be like strong, yeah. like less strong and less tall and stuff. Totally. And I mean, like I, I'm sure there's something to do with testosterone versus estrogen. Like I'm not saying that there's n- there's no effects that that those differences have on bodies, but I do think that a lot of this has been constructed. And when I was a kid. We play like I used to play on a co-ed soccer team. Um, House league soccer was always co-ed until a certain age, and I I kicked ass, man. I was like the MVP. And then at a certain age, at a certain age, it was just like, oh no, you can't play with the boys anymore. And I was like, why though? Like, what's what's changed? Mm. You know. <laughs> um, well, now you have to work on getting smaller, Maxi. You're now more than five years old. (laughs) And I did. I did very hard and I destroyed my health doing it. Destroyed my health, destroyed my mental health doing it. And it's all because natural selection. (laughs) (laughs) Unnatural selection. Unnatural selection. That is what we should start calling it. Yeah. So which book shall we talk about first, my dear? King Kong Theory. King Kong Theory. King Kong Theory. So I think both of us took something – well, we we took a lot from this book, actually, um, mm-hmm. because there's just a lot to it. But basically, she, she – uh, Virginie Despentes. Yeah, Virginie Despentes. Yeah, she's – She's a French feminist. Yeah, French feminist. She was talking – basically, it's 
talking about her life, right? And her experiences going into, well, her experiences feeling, you know, ugly and unattractive and not like a woman at all. And then in her situation, um, having to go into sex work and actually kind of starting to feel like a quote unquote woman at that point, but then being critical of, you know, what it, what does it mean to be a woman? Does it mean to just be attracted to men? Yeah. 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 Like it's a costume. Right. It's like a costume that you put on in order to seduce men kind of thing. But then she was saying how she kind of, I guess, drew some power from, I guess, playing the game. But then she recounts some horrible experiences, um, one of which was um, content warning of rape, but her and a friend were, I guess, hitchhiking and this group of men gang raped them both. Um, And then she's reflecting, she reflects on a lot, but she's reflecting on just this idea of, you know, physicality and how women are taught that being physical um, or even seeking retribution through physical means is just not their territory. That's just not something that anyone were supposed to do. And something that stuck out to me was she was talking about during that rape, she actually had a pocket knife with her and she like she had that for protection and she was just like, you know, this will save me. But in that moment, she didn't think at all of oh, I can take this out and I can use this and I can stop this. It was like, oh my God, I really hope they don't find this because then they will kill us with this or they'll use it on us, right? Mm -hmm. Women have been so ingrained to just think that we need to like roll over and play dead. Like we we cannot try to fight back. I mean, there's a lot of, you know... um, self-defense classes and stuff that that women are encouraged to take but at the end of the day I feel like yeah what's what's beat into our heads is that no because if you screw this up like they will kill you so don't even try and um it made me think I mean this is not even commensurable as an example but I was telling Maureen I was thinking about this because in my apartment I live on the first floor and I don't have air conditioning and outside my back door, like my back window is a lot of trees and it's really, really actually beautiful. I have like really nice sounds. It kind of sounds like a forest outside, even though I'm living in the city. And so in the summer, I want to leave the back door open to get a nice breeze and all of this stuff. But going through my head is, well, I can't do that <laughs> because somebody could come in i'm just imagining you know a man at any time could just see that there's a door open and know maybe know that i'm alone in here and then come in and rape me and these are like these are legit thoughts that i'm pretty sure all women think all the time when they're in any situation um i'm not sure like correct me if i'm wrong for cis men if you would have you know left the door open or not um but i feel like these are things that are uniquely thought of all the time by women that like okay there's danger everywhere so i was like okay well i really want to leave it open okay i'm gonna go get this huge knife (laughs) so i got this like huge knife and kept it by my bed but then even that was no because if somebody tries to break in here then they could they're going to use the knife and they're going to kill me. So I was like it's actually probably less safe for me to have the knife near the bed, you know. So then I was like, okay, I won't I won't leave it open tonight, but tomorrow I had I was I go camping a lot, so I was like 
okay, I'll bring the bear spray. I'll have the bear spray by the bed. And even that I was like, uh, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't relax when I was laying down because I was like, okay, am I going to have enough time to like grab the bear spray? And like, what if it doesn't work and all of this stuff? So I ended up not like, this is the tiniest thing. I agonized for days and thought of what I could do to protect myself from this theoretical man coming through my bedroom door. And I just feel like Mm-hmm. this is the kind of world that we're living in that I don't think that I don't think a lot of men know that like these are thoughts that <laughs> we're having all the time but uh, yeah and just the fact that we're taught really not to defend ourselves or like not to try and like hurt the man in any way is just so detrimental to us Absolutely. as well right See, I haven't even had all these thoughts that you're talking about. Like, I've had these thoughts, but um, I haven't even thought that it was a possibility for me to fight back if someone tried to, like, hurt me or kill me. And Mm. that also – I really want to – I really do want to take self-defense classes. I think that's, like, a very important part of just, like, feminist initiatives. Just learning, just realizing that – we can fight violence by maybe fighting back one day. And I think I'm always Mm -hmm. just so aware in the street. I don't know. I didn't, I haven't even thought about carrying pepper spray or haven't even thought of carrying a pocket knife, which like is already, I think an act of bravery because to me it is so obvious that I will be completely powerless the day that anyone tries to Mm -hmm. hurt me physically. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I haven't been encouraged to work on that or the fact that, I I just have never thought to pick up a sport that would really help me feel safer in public spaces is something that I want to work on. Um, Mm -hmm. Another part of King Kong theory that really stuck out to me is at one point she, I I think it's very uh, soon, like a few pages after she describes her rape, but she hypothesizes on what if there was, oh no, she says, you know, with all of the technological advances that we have made at this point, you know, we've like been on the moon, like we've, mm-hmm. we have all these like, allegedly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've had all these like wild technological advances that we never even thought would be possible. But she says, yet yeah, we still haven't, sometimes I'm amazed that we still haven't conceived of a device that women could put up their vagina before they go out that would like shred apart a penis <laughs> that entered their vagina like unconsensually uh-huh. um uh-huh. and when i remember reading that and feeling so uncomfortable and i was like uh-huh. why though do i feel so wildly uncomfortable and that's because i think physical violence mm-hmm. is never supposed to be our territory or something that we daydream about um or something that mm-hmm. we learn to make a part of our emancipation and i was just thinking like if those de- if all women were walking around with a device like that mm-hmm. and all men who raped were scared of literally being castrated if they <laughs> were to do so like that mm-hmm. would end rape i mean right now tomorrow i yeah you know right. um but it's because there isn't the threat of like serious physical retribution Mm-hmm. that also rape culture is like continually empowered and that people that that men continue to rape um mm-hmm. like obviously it's not only that there's so many things that go into it but just mm-hmm. i guess thinking about that possibility and thinking about how uncomfortable it made me yet how we devote our like lives and all all these policies to figure out how to end rape culture and the fact that 
just realizing yeah. something like that would physically, you know, it wouldn't end rape culture because the culture would still <laughs> right. be there, but the threat right. of physical violence would suffice to like end the the act was uh-huh. super wild to me. That is really, really wild. Hi, so this is editing, Maureen. I'm sitting here listening and editing this episode, and I just wanted to clear a few things up because I feel like some of the nuance got lost in this very enthusiastic conversation that we were having. So obviously, I didn't mean to say that this intravaginal device that I'm referring to would completely end rape because... Clearly, so many boys and men are raped, and there are many ways to assault someone that don't involve vaginal penetration. I hope that our larger point still came through, that if perpetrators seriously feared physical violence, in our opinion, it would change the game, and not only for women, but for all victims of patriarchal domination and violence. So... Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. I know that we weren't as nuanced as we'd have liked in this part of the conversation, especially me. Uh, And that also stems from the fact we've both read King Kong Theory, so we had more context. Yeah, so anyway, I hope that that you're enjoying the conversation, and I'm going to let you resume listening now. Because, yeah, we're we're basically just taught, you know, try to appeal to men's good senses and their good nature and try to reason with people and um and I do believe in like you know like transformative justice or whatever but it's like seek transformative justice like never seek to actually harm them to make them stop you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and I mean I did like I was I when I was younger I took martial arts and I did take a lot of self-defense and um so I was taught in a sense you know these are things you can these are things you can do to fight back, but you're also just hyper aware of the fact that if I screw this up, like I only have one chance, like if I Mm -hmm. screw up trying to break his nose or kick out his knee and it doesn't do anything, he's just going to become more enraged and fight harder to hurt me more. You know what I mean? So, um, it was, it's always kind of like, well, weigh your options, girl. Like, you know, yeah, (laughs) Just the odds are so stacked against us because Mm -hmm. not only do we – like we don't even think that we legitimately should fight back. Like Mm -hmm. that's what drives – that's what drives me up the walls about people who say like, oh, well, she didn't try to fight back or she didn't try Mm -hmm. to scream. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean not only is that like victim blaming as fuck but also Mm -hmm. think about how much conditioning has gone into Mm -hmm. the fact that – that like you cannot blame women for not coming forward or not fighting mm-hmm. back when mm-hmm. everything about our culture teaches men to be dominant and to mm-hmm. seek physical retribution for anything, even things that are like yeah. emotional and that do not need to be physical. Even like a stupid bar fight. Like, did you look at my girl? Totally. You deserve to go I down. Punch your fucking face, bro. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, "Oh, that's sensible." Well, they're not like it's sensible, but it's it's not looked at like. Whereas, like women are never taught to fight back physically. And then when they do, it's, I mean, I'm thinking about the bar example, like, first of all, like when women fight amongst each other, it's considered, you know, it's called like a cat fight and it's completely ridiculed in like such a sexist way too. Mm -hmm. It's not taken seriously. Yeah. It's like, Ooh, it's hot. Yeah, totally. It's fetishized. It's like, Ooh, yeah. 
roll around in the mud, ladies. Yeah, totally. Throw some <laughs> jelly on there and yeah, turn exactly. on the camera. Pull her hair. So and and recently, I posted on my Facebook page that when I was in Vedfest, Ireland, I was staying with um, a woman called Holda B. Wage, who is the champion mm. uh, powerlift. She's like a she's a national champion of Iceland of powerlifting. She can lift like oh my god, I don't know, hundreds of kilos, and oh my god. they still like she still gets pressure from like she was still introduced by the panel at VegFest as like Holda like making strong sexy and she was like what the fuck like that's not what I'm doing I'm like an amazing athlete like athlete working my ass off to to strength to lift really heavy weights like this is this does not have to be about sexiness and she was also telling me she doesn't get brand deals for clothing because it's like only okay to be athletic as a woman if you're still appealing to this feminine ideal. Like it's fine to be strong as long as your muscles are like centralized in your glutes and your abs and you're like making cute, mm. sexy poses out of them. Right. And you have long flowing hair and like, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I saw you post about that and I was like, oh, that's sad. Yeah. She really is sad. But it's awesome. true. Yeah, it's true. It's every woman who does the sport and is kick ass at it. They're just like, oh, she's making it sexy unless she's like not conventionally Mm -hmm. trying to be sexy. And then it's like, "Mm, no, nobody wants to look at you. Yeah. Or we're just going to like ridicule you, you know, or like we'll respect you, but you'll be kind of your own. You'll just be totally desexualized as a human. Like you'll just be just an object over there that we respect, but like. Absolutely. And a lot of times it's actually (laughs) deeply intertwined with speciesism. Men have constructed their identity as like, you know, the human and the dominant. And it's always been in opposition to women and femininity and also to animals. That's like what Mm. makes the white man Mm -hmm. like, that's what puts him on the pedestal. And that's why like sexism and speciesism is so intertwined and same with like speciesism and racism. And this Mm -hmm. whole conversation is really reminding me of the recent, like the way that Serena Williams is treated by our media as like, Uh if you're, if you're a woman and you're strong, you're animalized, but also if you're a black woman and you're strong, you're animalized Mm -hmm. like 10 times more. Um, Mm -hmm. Just all this stuff is super intertwined because the hierarchy of male dominance is completely reliant on speciesism and sexism and racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and if you think about like animal agriculture and that whole system, that's also based on, you know, I have the physicality to you know, enslave you and harm you and and whatever. So it, it is just about using physicality to take non-consensually from other beings you know i just feel like and this that's like capitalism that's impure that's everything right Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's this like okay this is horrible but i'm going to inflict it on you because i can Mm -hmm. because i can yeah Mm -hmm. so all of this has also made me think about how we live in an imagination where our our inferiority as women is fictional. I mean, the inferiority of all beings who are oppressed is fictional, right? And that's something that we spoke about with emergent strategy. That's also um, something that AFCO speaks about, that we need to imagine that we need to be like conceptual architects and imagine a world where we aren't 
oppressed that's truly globally liberated because at this point all these categories that classify us as inferior are fictional right um and just me Dupont's example of okay what if we had something in our vagina to um like shred anyway don't make me say it again um, <laughs> just like made me think about new possibilities and also recently i read this book uh which I think a lot of people have heard about, but it's called The Power by Naomi Alderman. And I won't spoil it. Mm -hmm. It's like present day and women start to realize that they have electricity in their hands mm -hmm. and this electrical power can kill people. And so they become, it, it's sort of an exploration. It's a sci-fi experiment of what would happen if all of a sudden, like tomorrow, women were physically dominant. And... I just really recommend the book because it was just such a fascinating thought experiment. It also just makes great commentaries on the, the, on the usage of unchecked power, because obviously there's a lot of like abuse of this power uh, from women later mm -hmm. on in the book that physical force can also be used for evil and for, you know, but it's like all these women can now like liberate themselves um, from mm -hmm. their, owners um in all these different countries and like they can no longer be you know they're, they're like no longer raped and they're no longer um like in engendered servitude and yeah it just it was such a cool like imagination it's wild to think about how much the status quo is dependent on this fact that women are naturally inferior you know i just don't think i ever realized that before this year yeah and as well to me to think about what my thought patterns would be like if mm. that were the case, right? Totally. Because <laughs> the story that I just told about me agonizing over whether to leave my freaking door open or not, that would never be something I thought about, mm -hmm. you know? And I can't even imagine living in that kind of a headspace. Like that would just rock my world. But then that also makes me realize that like men are living in that world all the time. <laughs> and yeah. I can't, I can't believe that. I cannot mm -hmm. believe that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just, it does not compute to me. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a, a part in the book. Again, this is not a big spoiler, but um, the, a woman is at work and her boss is being like a complete asshole to her. And he's super sexist and just like keeps interrupting her and keeps completely dismissing her ideas. And this has been ongoing for a few chapters now and this like before she got the power. And then there's this moment where she just looks at him and she's like, today's the first day where it didn't affect me because even though he's being like horrible, I know in this moment, if I wanted to, I can kill you and I'm stronger than you. And it was just this moment where I was like, Oh shit. Like, <laughs> is this the world that men live in? Know, like, right? Well, even like interrupting people and doing all of that, you know, sexist microaggression is just, that's also facilitated by the power, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I was thinking about like the Kavanaugh case and kind of relating it to this and just this idea that no matter how like competent and composed and well-educated a woman is, it doesn't really matter because even if you have all of that, if someone can just say, well, shut up, I'm going to beat you then it doesn't matter, right? So you have these incredible, dignified, you know, women, competent women who are just put up against these 
screaming man babies, you know? And yeah. and that's all facilitated by the power, right? Because it's like, well, we have to work so much harder to reason and show our competence because someone who who isn't competent but has a lot of brute force can just be like, okay, well, I don't care what you've said, so I'm just going to scream and rage, right? And you can tell that like Kavanaugh was just so used to living in that world of like, I get what I want, you know? And I feel like our entire, our, yeah, like I said, patriarchy, capitalism, imperialism, that's all structured by that underlying way of looking at the world. And I think that that way of looking at the world stems from having the power. Totally. And I love how right now you're just saying the power because obviously it's much, it's ideological. It's not just, yeah, people might say, well, they have guns. Like if she has a gun, she can defend herself. And like, sure. But what we're talking about is the power to use, like the legitimacy to use violence against someone who is not giving you what you want as just a mega construct that like uh-huh. shapes our imagination uh-huh. and that like just shapes our entitlement to things or a feeling right. of entitlement. I just feel like this is this is just like blowing my mind so wide open, you know what I mean? Um yeah. but yeah, it is like this this power, the power, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's all connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it has like recreated the situation to keep existing as a legitimate ideology. Like the fact mm. that women really now are weaker and smaller Mm -hmm. than men right right makes like reaffirms that men are superior and that like it's it it would be pretty nice if they let us win anything at the end of the day because like through brute force they could still keep dominating exactly then it becomes like oh well they they're giving us something like they're being so gracious in you know not like contravening our bodily autonomy and not like crossing our boundaries and stuff like that because it's like they could if they wanted to but they're being really great and showing restraint and not doing that you know and rape culture wants us to think that everything about their biology has wired has them wired to like rape us and to dominate us physically Right. And they just can't control their urges because that's just their animal instincts. Mm -hmm. Actually, the sociologist that I was talking about earlier who studied sexual dimorphism also says, you know, we are the only species in which the males kill the females of their own species and how actually incredibly unsound it is from an evolutionary perspective because we are the ones who birth babies and give life. So, like, it makes no fucking what? sense. The only species where the males kill the females? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's nothing natural about it. Oh, my God. It's totally socially constructed. That just was like a dagger to my heart. I was like, are you kidding? And it's true. Yeah. I mean, still in France, every week, three women are killed yeah. by their partner. By their male partner oh, you know it's yeah. like feminicide is such a fucking huge global epidemic right. and i mean like murdered and missing indigenous women all across canada and north america it's like women yeah are, are typically targeted for that kind of violence mm-hmm. um that actually makes me think of caliban and the witch and like ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way. tying this to broader systems so i already kind of tied it to capitalism and kind of even state ism like this idea of the state as 
being a state because it holds the legitimate monopoly over force, right? So if you don't agree or don't follow what you're supposed to do, you don't pay what you're supposed to pay, you get just forced into that, right? Um, but yeah, so in Calvin and the Witch, um, I think everyone should read this book, by the way. It's amazing. Um, I need to get my hands on oh it. Oh my God. It's in its gut wrenching. Like, it's it's really hard to get through because um, she goes over the history of the transition between feudalism to capitalism and how um, capitalism was actually this like violent counter revolution to all of the movements that were emerging in the feudal era of people wanting to you know reclaim the commons and live in a more communal way, but. Uh, she talks about, you know, this, the start of the privatization of property and all of that and um, how people were so upset by that, obviously, like they were being oppressed and how um, there was just a lot of rage in a lot of the towns and people were turning that energy towards rebellion against like the state and capital. But in order to like pacify that, the states, you know, they, they basically turned the sexes against each other and they made it legal for men to rape low-class women um or they would they would set up like state sanctioned like brothels and things like that for basically men to let off their rage and then eventually just made it legal for men to just beat and gang rape uh low-class women and so all of this anger this ang- this revolutionary anger was basically turned onto women and especially low class women so it diffused a lot of the a lot of the like what what would have been solidarity or not what would have been but what could have been solidarity and you know fighting against these systems of oppression turned into one group of people <laughs> That, like men or well-off men being then in service of you know the state and in service of capital and privatization and all of that because they they now had this position of a, a bit more privilege like they didn't ha- obviously have privilege of capitalists like all men didn't have that but at least they had more privilege and she talks about like the witch hunts and how those were targeted mainly towards low-class women or old um women um who couldn't bear children anymore and just it's it's so everyone has to read this book but i think that it really just links all of this and like this idea of like the power quote unquote to capital the emergence of capital and then obviously Mm -hmm. this bleeds into uh imperialism which is the highest stage of capitalism so and i think i also remember you telling me that so much of the knowledge that these witches had acquired was stolen from them and destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think about this a lot also in terms of like the guy, just the medical world that we live in today, how women have so little knowledge over their like own bodies. Um, and that all of this wisdom was like taken from us and from like, past generations and that the doctor like the male doctor ended up being entrusted with all of this knowledge i mean and it also so linked to capitalism but something that i learned recently is that there's actually nothing it's a very unnatural the the position that women are in when they give birth is completely 
is, is super unnatural and it actually would be a lot easier if they like were able to walk around and squat and even like hang by their arms like it in order for the thing to for, for the thing yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is how developed my maternal instincts are for the thing to drop um yeah for them to give birth and that actually like the way that they're positioned like lying down and with their like mm. legs spread apart for a doctor to be in between their legs and give birth to them yeah is actually like a very bad position to give birth Oh my gosh. Yeah. It makes so much sense though. Yeah. There's a really great podcast about it that we can link in the show notes. Great. Yeah. I heard it was better to be on your hands and knees as well. Yeah. Which makes so much sense. Like you need to be able to uh-huh. like walk and, and in the podcast they say the woman who's interviewed says like, but there's no way that a male physician would have agreed to like walk around behind a woman and like squat with her and like bend over and like give birth oh, to yeah. her because like the hierarchy uh-huh. had to be maintained. Like the woman giving birth was uh-huh. inferior and also didn't know anything about her body. Like the physician yeah. did. And also it would have been awkward for the physician at so that time. because awkward. Poor baby. Because, yeah. Yeah. Well, because she talks about that in Calvin and the Witch about how, yeah, all of that knowledge was taken and then doctors were became male when before it was women who were doing that and women knew about all the herbs and all this other stuff and that was all, you know, demonized. So, mm. yeah, super interesting, but also really upsetting. Yeah, this conversation about sexual dimorphism and how much the physical differences between men and women are socially constructed like we don't know how much but it definitely has an influence like the patriarchal system definitely influenced that it it just mm. makes i mean all everything that's going on with like the trans panic and mm. the fact that people are even doubting do non-binary genders exist are there more than two genders it's like this whole fucking thing about two genders was socially constructed like do you not see uh-huh. one? true yeah and there's so much of that as well when you think about um trans people and this just this debate about sports and like should they be able to play on the other yeah. team sports team right and oh my goodness yeah it's all yeah. coming down to this power and yeah there's nothing natural about the two teams no no nothing yeah anyway yeah, I just I wanted to say um kind of bring it back to the power. I like that you were saying that in that book they kind of showed, you know, by the end that that power being used by women was actually leading to some negative things as well. Some very similar things like war. Yeah. Um and this is something that I was thinking about um listening to Adrian and Autumn's podcast um which we will link below (laughs) yes swoon but autumn was talking about work that she did in social movement facilitation and just about how um they always do this thing where they collectively like check themselves continually to make sure that it is about the work and it's not about themselves because when you're doing important work and you are making change it's really easy to think about well, I am special and I am kind of the best and I, people should follow me and kind of you end up developing this like cult of personality around the person, which we're obviously trying not to do when we think about immersion strategy and stuff like that. Um, but then applying that to this physicality as well, right? If you have all this power, then obviously you can easily just flip the switch and then be like, okay, women are the ones dominating men now. And I think that that's 
what a lot of anti-feminists, I think that that is their fear, that feminism is about man-hating, it's about flipping the hierarchy, it's about women having more power and using that to oppress men. Um, But that's not, I mean, people can define their own feminism for themselves, but that's never been the way, like whenever I studied feminism, that's never ever been the way that I've thought about feminism. Like feminism isn't about amassing that, that power and keeping that power for yourself. It's about moving beyond power. It's about like, you know, breaking down the like gendered forms of violence right like breaking down power it's not about subjugating someone else it's about breaking down that power entirely and moving beyond it and that's what feminism is about and that's what i think people don't really understand because we've been living in this situation for so long where the power has been like the power dynamics have been so starkly pronounced that people mm-hmm. just assume, well, what do you want the opposite? Because I don't want the opposite, right? <laughs> yeah. It's also so telling that that is the one argument that has the most cultural resonance. Mm-hmm. Like That is the one like anti-feminist argument that is like believed the most. It's like, oh, yeah. well, women want the physical force and they want to kill men. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's like examine why that mischaracterization is the one that has completely like hidden all the other ones right absolutely but then also think about like if a man let's say a man was like gang raped like do you think that he would be like okay i want to kill these motherfuckers that did this to me like it like we wouldn't maybe not and i'm like maybe not every man would feel that way but if a man did feel that way people wouldn't really be like oh you know that's terrible people would be like oh yeah I would I would feel the same way like yeah I mean that's so true I grew up my whole life with like my dad's a black belt in karate and it was always like if anyone hurts you or if like I will kill them which right you know I'm not saying but it was never like daughter I'm gonna teach you how to kill them or like how to defend Mm -hmm. yourself it was like obviously I would have to like run to this patriarch who would take care of that. Mm -hmm. But also it was never about like, you know, let's move beyond violence and let's not, you know what I mean? Like just because I, just because I've been harmed doesn't mean that I need to exact that on somebody else. Let's move beyond that. It's never that. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm like, if (laughs) this is so general, but you know, I just feel like when often when men are harmed, then the, like the most common reaction is to want to just harm the other person, right? Oh, a hundred percent. So I'm like, no, I mean, yeah. Sorry, no, but this is made me think so much about my student who was mugged. Oh yeah, in the street. the The message that he got from multiple adults around him is that he needed to bulk up in order to be able to like beat the person up in the future, and that was like very, you know, it's like really heartbreaking that he received mm-hmm. that messaging. Um. For a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. but it also is like he was just shamed for being like quote unquote physically weaker, and the obvious like next step mm-hmm. that he could take was to bulk up. Mm-hmm. How often is that the message that women get when they're raped? Like that's not the immediate suggestion. Like Never. oh, well, like go and work out so that you can beat the person up next time. Like yeah, in feminist circles, that's Never. I think feminist like auto defense classes are becoming more and more popular. But that's like a countercultural mm-hmm. thing to push, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, I that's probably why, like, you know, when you suspect someone else of doing something that they aren't trying to do, but it's because you're projecting mm-hmm. your own fears or your own self onto them, like, obviously, 
a lot of anti-feminists, anti-feminism is just this projection of, you know, well, if I was harmed, then I would want to harm back. And so you obviously must want to just harm Mm -hmm. me back instead of, no, you're pushing to move Mm -hmm. beyond this power. But I think that that like harm versus harm is such a terrible thing that is infused into all of us through patriarchy that structures our entire way of living, like all of our systems. Mm-hmm. All of them, you know? Yeah. In the power, the fact that women getting this physical power eventually leads to a lot of misuse is, I'm, I'm sure so much of it is dictated in the fact that, okay, there's this power switch all of a sudden, but they're still living under capitalism. And there's still like all these wars going on. Like, I don't think things would really be, I don't know if things would be better if all of a sudden like women had the physical advantage if we're still living in this deeply hierarchical capital driven system that that pushes dominance like no matter who has it it's going to exacerbate that mm-hmm. and like keep on socially and materially reproducing it and find a way to profit off of mm-hmm. it. Absolutely because it has to like it has to create difference and it has to create hierarchy in order for capital to accumulate, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's when I think about, you know, like Hillary Clinton, people being like, oh, you know, it would be such a feminist thing if she got into power. And it's just like, no, she would just continue the patriarchy. Like she was not proposing something different than the patriarchy and like capitalism and imperialism and all of that. Right. So, you know, what's underlying that? Like, and what are the ways that we've been conditioned um, to think of this physical dimorphism? And how does that play into all of the structures that we create, you know? And just think about how many times she had to prove her like physical inferiority or just how much women in circumstances of power have to do that. Like they always have to wear high heels, which would like impede their ability to run fast. They have to wear makeup. They have to like, I mean, like Hillary Clinton definitely um, was targeted by a lot of sexism, but imagine if the media had gotten a a hold of like a photo of her in the gym, like powerlifting. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Like women, if, it's if true. they, I mean, still they're like assimilating, they're climbing the ranks of a patriarchal system that is unable to liberate them. Women. Yeah. I, I deeply think mm-hmm. that, but also just in order to escalate those ranks, they have to just, prove their docility and their physical inferiority over and over again yes it's so true this is yeah this is just like male fragility carried on for since you know the paleolithic times and and if you think about it it's it's at the root of all kind of domination as well it's like the slave masters right they were scared like obviously if slaves were given any opportunity to fight back, the slave masters knew that they would be completely justified in fucking their shit up and like burning their houses to the ground. So it was just like, you have to make sh- make them the most repressed as possible. And then in order to feel okay, like granting them any rights, you have to feel as though they are not going to be a threat to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like enter all of these, you know, systemic, systemically racist laws and everything to make sure that the people that we're afraid of are not going to be an actual threat to us. And it's so true. If women were like a serious physical threat to men, then that would not be okay. Mm -hmm. 
And it would, it would disrupt all, I mean, and I think that, yeah, if we're still living under capitalism, then it would be terrible. But if we actually use the power in the sense of we, we take the power not out for each other. Right. But like, we take the power not to like, keep that power and use it against others to keep them down, but to take that power in order to be like, okay, like, no one's going to be using this. So let's move forward. You know what I mean? Like if we had that power, then that would disrupt all of our systems and capitalism mm-hmm. and imperialism and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Even opening out a new can of worms here. I'm not sure it's uh, wise at this hour. Cause I know you must go, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I must go. but it just makes me think about how, you know, there's this myth that colonialism was able to take place because white people were just stronger. Oh yeah. Um, when mm. in fact, well, yeah, this is really a whole other can of worms, but like the, the fact that they were able to physically dominate those regions of the world was mm. in part due to their agricultural system that had already exposed them to all these chemicals. I mean, not all these chemicals, all these bacteria and all these viruses that, um, that were carried like in their food and also just in their cities, like the fact that like rats carried them and it, like and so on and so forth. And so a lot of, a lot of indigenous people just like died. I mean, very quickly after the colonizers got to their land, yeah. there's this horrible, horrible argument that white supremacists use that like, well, since we had the physical force, like we just had the like economic intelligence to oppress these people. Mm -hmm. We like won it fair and square, but Uh there's this whole idea that like physical, like if you have the physical upper hand, then you can take and take and like you won that fair and square, which like that in itself is super fucked up, but it's not even like true at all um, in terms of like colonization and like the disease that we spread that killed off so much of the indigenous population. And like the white people only had that economic dominance because they were oppressing women and animals and all of this other stuff. Right. So it's just like, so that, that all came just from using this power and then being like, well, this is fair because that's just how it is, right? That's just how it yeah, is. Totally. So, anyway, girl, this was a good conversation. I feel like I have so much more to say. I know. Honestly, but it's okay. We'll carry it on another time. Maxie needs to go. Yeah. I also need to go, actually. But thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. And let us look know out what you for think. the show notes because we're going to link everything that we talked about there. Yes. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.